Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Mika Simmons, and welcome to the Happy Vagina podcast, Coming up, we have Nimco Ali OBE, award-winning political activist, CEO of the Five Foundation and leading light in tackling violence against women and girls. A survivor of FGM, Nimco teaches us all about how to be a campaigner and not a complainer. But first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsors. This episode of the Happy Vagina podcast has been brought to you by Day. Day is an innovative gynae health brand on a mission to raise the standards of female healthcare through the creation of sustainable products and services which bridge the gender health gap. Day's naked and CBD tampons are made of 100% plastic-free, certified organic and unbleached cotton fibres. They're sanitised to eliminate bacteria and candida yeast, which are the leading causes of infections like TSS, BV and thrush. Day's CBD tampons have been clinically proven to soothe menstrual pain by 80%. Find out more about the inspirational work of Day and get £5 off your first order with our code, thehappyvagina, at www.yourday.com. That's www.yourday.com. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week, we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also entertain and enlighten. And this week on The Happy Vagina, after much hounding... (laughs) We have a very, very, very special guest, Nimco Ali OBE. Nimco, if I'd have had it my way, you would have been like my first guest. I mean, you'd have been my like my my pre-guest. You would have been like my pre-guest before the podcast ever even started. Basically, you would have been my co-host if I could have got hold of you a year ago when when we launched. But I am so happy to finally have you on the Happy Vagina because you are the Vagina Queen. Oh my God, like, the, well, the fanny queen. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you very much for having me. And ultimately, when I saw your um, podcast or the name of your podcast, I thought, why the hell have I not been invited onto this? <laughs> I had invited you. I was like, does anyone know Nimco Ali? How can I get a hold of Nimco Ali? Somebody, please find Nimco Ali for me. And then, of course, I made some pants that said the happy vagina and coming soon and being like a stylish queen you discovered me via my knickers is this true right I, I literally did I saw you um I saw a post that was on um the Albright's um website and I thought oh my god how how was I not invited to an event that was all about happy vaginas I'm literally I'm the vagina queen I'm the only person that calls herself like the funny defender of the world you are the funny defender you are the funny defender of the world and and you fell in love with my knickers and the rest is history I have forgiven you and also I think 
Probably, Nimco, there's a good reason why I couldn't get hold of you, because I'm just going to read a little short list of your achievements. Just, it's just for fun. It's a little bit like, um, do you remember, do you remember that program, This Is Your Life? Do you remember uh, that uh, show when we were kids? The Red Book, the Red Book. Yes, but Nimco, don't you think maybe that, that, that me and you should be the new co-hosts of This Is Your Life? It should be like restarted. This is your life, but the way we see it, it could have all like a vagina and female angle on it. But I'm really interested in getting all the issues about women into the red boxes of Westminster. So that's what I'm going to talk about the political vagina afterwards. So actually, that, that could be a really good analogy talking about the fact that the red book of This Is Your Life into the red box. Nimco, this is your vagina life. Nimco, Nimco Ali OBE, this is your vagina life. You are a British activist, co-founder and CEO of the Five Foundation, a global partnership to end female genital mutilation. You are also an independent government advisor on tackling violence against women and girls. You have worked for counter-terrorism within the civil service, supporting the rights of all girls in the UK, and you've led initiatives to end the gender health gap, including co-founding with me, the Ginsburg Women's Health Board, and you are the mm -hmm. author of a book, what we're told not to talk about, but we're going to anyway. There was no swearing in that title, which I thought was amazing. Because if it, I think you probably would have been like, but we're fucking going to anyway. You're also 2014 Red Magazine Woman of the Year, 2014 number six on the Women's Hour Power List, 2018 BBC's 100 Women, 2019 you became Order of the British Empire, OBE, Nimco, Fanny, Ali. 2019 Geneva Summit for Human Rights and Democracy, International Women's Rights Award. And then you are on Debris, 500 Most Influential People in Britain and the Evening Standards, 1,000 Most Powerful. <sighs> Nimco Ali, we do not have time to make This Is Your Vagina Life. You are unstoppable. <laughs> I'm, I'm weird enough, I've also got a mutilated vagina, so that's the kind of thing. I've got like a very odd vagina. Am I allowed to say this? Do you know what? I'm gonna. You are allowed to say... I'm going to be very comical about the whole thing about talking about my vagina because I think humour is better than horror. I think it's really important to be humorous. And actually, one of the things I've been looking into while preparing to speak to you was the history of female genital mutilation. And I actually, I, I sort of, I laughed at some of the reasons why people said they did it. And I, I didn't laugh because I really think it's funny. I laughed in shock and horror. But I was literally like, some of the explanations historically, which we will come back to talking about the history of it, but that in hot countries, women's clitorises are bigger, that it helps prevent AIDS, that it can stop lesbianism. I mean, this long list of like really, really insulting, awful things that actually they shocked me so much that I was in a kind of like a weird hysteria around it. Oh, hysteria is one of the reasons why FGM was carried out in the West and actually still global as well. Hysteria, because masturbation was considered to be something that led women, well, human beings in general, to, to a form of insanity. Yeah. Insanity. So I, I actually do want to come back to that a bit later, because one of the things that I think is really mm, insulting and uh, misunderstood about FGM is that it's often considered to be, or people that have a lack of understanding or education around it or who are not open-minded might think that it is a problem for African nations or Muslim religions. And actually the truth is, is that if you really deep look at the history, there is a very serious potential that as a practice it was started in Britain. No, I don't think it was started in Britain. It's like there is um, in the... In 
in terms of the English context of where the clitoris was first defined or first written about, it was written around the time of the witch um, um, trials. Um, and the fact that this, like, you know, this, like, you know, devil-like hook was there. Mm-hmm. And then that led into the, that led into the clitoris. So be, basically, women, so basically the clitoris and women have been um, de- demonized for um, millennia essentially mm. but um fgm has been a global issue for the last i think i think as since like humanity has been around mm. a global issue and i think one of the things that i read and, and you may and there's probably going to be a lot that you'll need to correct me on but i don't care because i know you love me <laughs> and um but like i think i read that it is really a global issue and that the only place where they hadn't found any history of it is antarctica that essentially every single continent in the world has a history of female genital mutilation. No, definitely. And ultimately, because that's all based in gender inequality and violence against, well, basically male violence against women. So these are basically, um, the clitoris is there just for the female pleasure. And once you start to actually see women as inferior to men, then you ultimately have to define their um, sexual pleasure and everything else as inferior to what men need to have. And I think the 18th century like you know um really understanding the fact that the only the male orgasm um contributed to um actual um procreation mm. meant that the female orgasm was basically then written out of history and written out of all medical kind of te- um texts but i think the female anatomy has been something that's actually really been been something that's actually what the female anatomy has been something that men have always been fascinated by and men still are fascinated by. So basically controlling that and controlling women's anatomy, control women's pleasure is something that has gone through culture and sent, like sent, sent, well, it's, it's something that actually just predates all kind of um, cultural experiences that we know at the moment. Mm, mm. And the, concept that the clitoris didn't really have a purpose is of course because only men were allowed to be doctors and so you said that men have often uh, fantasized about women's bodies because of a lack of understanding they also didn't really take the time or put the energy into deeply understanding how women's bodies work because of the self-centeredness of of human beings in general actually i think um human, human beings in general will often be focused on the thing that is most important for them. But this has led to extreme violence against women's bodies, whether it be literal violence, like you've experienced, or as you know, I believe the gender health gap, which I really strongly believe that if governments now know about the gender health gap and are not doing anything actively to change the gender health gap and raise women's health up, to the same level men are treated, then that becomes violence against women and girls, as far as I'm concerned. Nimco, we've become fierce friends over the last year. <laughs> you're you're one of my um one 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 of my gifts of the coronavirus. And we've founded this board together to work on closing the gender health gap. And I've I've really fallen in love with you as a human being and it's been an honour getting to know you. And I have I've I've held back on a few occasions, I said, I'm not going to ask you that now because yeah. I really wanted to have a a first-hand experience with our community about your story. And I know a little bit about it, but really you have built 
your own empire of fighting for women's rights based on this very early year experience that you had. And can you share with our listeners what happened for you and a little bit about your history? Yeah, so I um like, you know, I'm an anti-FGM activist um, at heart, um, but also I'm a social, like, you know, I'm a strategist and all these other kind of things. But I was subjected to FGM at the age of seven. And I can't, that really was, the basically the understanding of my gender for me was actually this act of violence really brought me into my womanhood or girlhood as you might might, might, might want to say that um and then I've spent the last literally like the and the last 30 years kind of um dissect like you know dissecting that and really trying to understand what it means to be a woman and the and kind of like the gender inequalities that women face and also how it kind of inter- intersects with every part of our lives so I think if you'd spoken to me 10 years ago, FGM would have been at the forefront of everything and all that I do. But I think everything and all that I do right now is as a woman who is a survivor of FGM. Mm. And um, yeah, so I'm like 38 years old now. So I'm actually 31 years plus my experience of FGM and all my life experiences, um, period, sex, orgasms, everything else, um, hopefully pregnancies and definitely menopause if I live to that lot, if, if I live to the point where I'm able to hit menopause means the fact that I will be living all those kind of like, you know, key moments as a woman, as a survivor of um, female genital mutilation. And that is not a unique thing because there are 200 million women globally living with that. And that's basically, that's like almost like, what's that? Somebody once said 20% of all Facebook users are FGM survivors. You could say in that kind of context, it's that, 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 that's how large the number of women are so um 200 million women globally and sadly that could be an extra 70 million by 2030 but i'm working towards that not happening so because you moved to this country um from somalia when you were four is that right so basically so so i'm from somaliland which is a former british protectorate so never colony but um so we had a, a massive connection between the uk and Somaliland. So my parents were from Somaliland, Dubai, and um, were living here in the UK. So yeah, so I basically was here from the age of four, and then um, would always go back to Somaliland and basically live with my grandparents and kind of just like experience that um, life. And then basically the civil war broke out in um, when I was there, just when I was about six and a half. And then we ended up going to Djibouti in order for us to be able to get back here because the kind of we were living here as Somali citizens under the under the protectorate of being able to live under the UK. So um, so basically, I had to come back to this country at the age of seven as a refugee. And 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 at what age were you when you experienced FGM? Actually, before I ask that, I wondered what your first memory of hearing about female genital mutilation. Did you hear about it before it happened to you, or? No, I know I had I had I had no idea, and this is one of the things why I would say that my FGM happened completely um, out of context in the sense that nobody ever talked about it at the time beforehand, um, at the time or even after. It was just something that happened, and then I was able to really ask a lot of questions about it. So we were in Djibouti, which is another ethnically Somali area of the Horn of Africa, uh, but was. Um, a former, um, a former colony of the French. So I was in Djibouti, and we basically were there with part of my, with part of my other extended family, waiting to come back to the UK. 
and the FGM happened. And I rem- I remember the act itself. And being seven, I still like you know I literally have very vivid um, experiences and and understands of it. And I still talk about that, and, and I can really explain those kind of conversations to my sister and to my mom and to everybody else. And it's really interesting when we've been able to have these conversations. Um, um, years later that it was very um, kind of vivid but ultimately the reality was the fact that my FGM happened and then I came back to the UK and I was very much like what was that like can somebody please really put that into context for me and because there was no context I had to go look for context and I ended up finding the writings of um, Noel Al-Salawi who was an incredible Egyptian writer who died last week and she really vividly wrote about FGM as a form of violence. And what I really understood about that was the fact that how she, for her, was trying to do that relationship between her and her mom. So she woke up from the hands and she, well, she says that she moved her, herself out of the grips of the, um, the circumciser to try to look for her mom, to try to look for protection. And then saw her mom in the corner, basically cackling with all these other women and for me, when I read that, the only the only visual context I could have was with Rosemary's baby in that kind of thing of mm. like the whole point of this woman that has been in a cult mm. and trying to kind of find their husband and finding her husband is part of the actual cult mm. that was oppressing her. Mm. So that was so as a child, I was always trying to find understanding about this thing that I had no experience of, no understanding of, and nobody wanted to explain to me. And the like the kind of pictures that I pulled myself from were I'm talking about like how it was horrific, how it was wrong, and nobody in my family thankfully corrected me and said that wasn't like you know I wasn't going down the wrong route. Mm-hmm. So they allowed me to actually find my voice in in the sense of seeing FGM as something that was wrong, which mm-hmm. a lot of people in my community did not actually think at the time so so that was members of your extended family but did you were you able to have that conversation with your mum from quite a young age or were you more looking around the outside of your immediate family to get some answers um no I wasn't able to because the whole point I I do you know what it's taken almost like 30 years to get to the point where I basically was able to understand my mother as a woman rather than trying to expect things from her she was 27 when I was subjected to FGM and for me at 27 I was actually completed the baby I'm 38 now so I'm 10 years I'm 10 I'm 11 years older than she was and to be able to say that I would have the the power and the voice to stand up to a patriarchal community at that age is actually something that I know would never have happened so the way that I dealt with my mom was actually I was demanding an apology and demanding an explanation from her that she could never give me. But what she gave me was the ability to be able to be educated and to have the freedoms that I do now to be in a position that, where I am to understand not just FGM as for what it is, but to be able to fight against it. So I was never able to have a conversation with um, with my mum until about a few years ago. But I actually didn't have the conversation in a way that I thought I would have, but um, I interestingly met Noelle um, in 2014 and I really wanted to ask her about her relationship with her mom and how they really rebuilt that because that I was struggling with my mm. relationship with my mom at the time. Um, and but, bef- but before that, I was listening to her talk and she kept talking about 
how she's written the the passage about FGM, which really changed my life as a 12-year-old. I remember reading that. I was 12. I So the FGM that I had was very invasive. It's called infibulation FGM. And, I, the, and then I came back to the UK. So at the age of 11, I had to have medical intervention, which because of the fact that I had really severe complications as a result of that. So um, I went and found information for myself. And she talked about how embarrassed she was to write that out, like, you know, to write that, um, to write that piece and how she'd written it, how she ripped it up and thrown it into the Gulf of Aden mm. several times. Mm. And I thought, like, you know, I've been sitting here from the age of, like, 11 all the way up to the point where I was in my mid-20s wanting to ask Noelle, how did you rebuild that relationship with your mom? My question ended up being, what were you scared of when you kept... She So on the platform, she said, I was scared mm. to put that essay out. I ripped it up. And she replied back, she said, I was scared of being reduced down to nothing but a mutilated vagina. Because she's like, I'm a doctor, I'm all these things. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a freedom fighter. I'm a political mm. activist. Mm. To be seen as anything, just to be seen just as as as, a, as an FGM mm. like survivor mm. or but a victim at the time is I. She said that's what really was scaring me, and I thought that's what kept me silent for years and years as well. It's the idea, the fact that I would be reduced nothing but a mutilated vagina. For any woman who chooses to speak out about something as um, dramatic and wrong and violent as FGM, it will become the fulcrum that things start to pivot around. It's just the nature of your work in the public space once you become publicly talking about that. And I know that you work really hard to make sure that your lessons from that also are reflected in other um, areas of violence against against women but you you've talked a lot so far about this being a patriarchal uh system you know this 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 action of F- fgm yeah. that you are subjected to is a is is wrapped up in in in, in that it's a, a cultural historical thing that we do for um you know that, that, it, that it's part of a culture that it's tradition um and of course it, it's not and it mustn't be and 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 it has stemmed from the male psyche of trying to repress women, trying to repress women's sexuality, trying to re- repress. I, I read somewhere that sometimes it was thought that if the clitoris was too long, then that woman would have too much sexual energy. All of these things are really vile and disgusting. The thing that I find really moving about what you've just talked about is that and I still find it really moving now is that it is it is the women within the communities. So another thing that I read was that a young woman was told this is something special for women. And I feel I feel so deeply, deeply sad, Nimco, that something that was imposed on our gender then got taken into the female community and became something that became secret for the women. To me, that's that's possibly one of the most devastating parts of the journey is that it became something that the women were doing to the women, even but, though the men started it. No, no, no. It's not, it's not even just the men started. The men still benefit from it. So the whole point is the fact that if women started saying... So if my grandmother was as loud as I am today, 
she'd be dead. Therefore, my mother would never be born and I would never be born. So the whole thing is that the revolution has to start by pushing one generation before, like, you know, forward to, to the next. So the reality is the fact that no, like, there is no other existence or no kind of um, way for women to exist without being married in the continent of Africa at the moment is the fact that there's no economic justice, there's no economic empowerment for women. And these men, then we only say we'd only marry women that are cut. So either you, like the women make it into something that they have to celebrate and they have, because right. it is the thing. Right. It's basically, it's the same, it's the same okay. shit. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's the same shit as when you tell your daughter not to put her above, um, head, head above the parapet about not being too loud at school. Mm between all these things so the whole point is that women are conditioned mm. to the point of the fact that once you do something like this then you basically get a punch in the face so then what a mother does is the fact that how do I protect my daughter from being punched in the face it's the mm. fact that I need to condition her to the point where the fact that she knows that this is the space that she needs to in- inhabit mm. and within my culture within my community there are stories that are told about the perfect mother the perfect woman all these other kind of things mm. Even in our society, mm. like I keep saying to people, like, you know, who is the hottest girl that you like? What, 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 like, if I say to men, what does an incredibly hot woman look to you? They would announce, they, they, they will talk about people they will never meet, but those are the people that the media put out there. So, mm. the same way that the media tells us to pluck our eyebrows, color mm. our hair, do all these things, it's, it's the same way where FGM and all these things mm. are perpetuated with, with it in those communities. So, mm. What my mother did was the fact that she had no control over, and it literally took for me to, she had no control over me not being cut. She could say, I'm not going to cut my daughter, mm. but I don't understand. I don't know what would have happened after that. Mm. But what she did was the fact that I don't have a, I, I don't have the power not to cut my daughter. And she didn't mm. tell me that. Mm. She did what she had to do. And then she gave me the leverage and the opportunities to be freely educated never never to tell me that fjm was okay and it was mm. great mm. but just also just give me the like she literally fought the patriarchy of somali men and somali community here even in the west mm. in order for me to become who i am to the mm. point where i can stand today and say to my mm. niece mm. who so so my grandmother was had a early child like forced marriage my grandfather was like i'm not going to co- consummate that until she's 18 so, had, so, so, my, so, my, um, so my grandmother was given as a child, was illiterate, had FGM. My mother was educated, still had a forced kind of marriage um, and FGM. But mm. so basically she had education. So I only had FGM, not the mind. I, know I have a niece now, the fourth generation that doesn't have FGM, doesn't, is freely educated. If she gets married, she might, I don't know to who, to whatever. So the whole point is the fact that it is not about women, like, you know, really gaining this thing and thinking like it's amazing it's women having no choice Mm. but to say fuck this is part of our lives how do we teach how how do we not let ourselves break when we're doing that so there has to be a level of like so I learned that I forgave my mom Mm. rather than demanding forgiveness for my mom so that's what I was doing for years and years I was like Mm. I want you to apologize so we I am in a position that my mom will never ever be. Mm. I'm so beyond FGM that it doesn't actually wreck, like it doesn't actually have a role in my life. Like I will always have the scars, but it doesn't actually impact my life. Mm. Like I don't know puberty before FGM. I don't know mm. all, all these other things before. FGM. Like I'm living as Nimco as I am. Mm. It doesn't define me. It doesn't like I've never 
thought of it as part of my life. So yeah, so the the whole point is we can't actually be in this space where we're saying the fact that um, African women are embracing this and like oppressing them. They they have no choices and we have to be able to, that's why I do through the five foundations actually give these women. I've never ever met an African woman which is where Africa, where FGM is the most concentrated, is a global issue, but it's the most concentrated that's ever wanted to do FGM. I've met women that don't have choices. And mm. when they're given choices, they would give them to their daughters before they would give it to themselves. Many of the women that I read about were too frightened to give their names because one of them actually said, I think this was in a documentary, I cannot give my identity because my sons will will kill me. And I I think, I mean, I'm sure that is possibly one of the most extreme responses. However, I think women like Noella and you putting your head, I mean, it's an amazing kind of analogy to compare it with women not being too loud. But Nimco, I... I always have a moment when I feel really emotional. It's really amazing. I I get it. And I really appreciate you using that analogy to explain it, that the lack of freedom is the same. It's the same. It's the same repression of women. It's the same. How can we keep women from being the really phenomenal powerhouses that we are, whether it be shush, be quiet, you're a girl, or whether it be through female circumcision. It is all the same. The root is the same. It's not not circumcision. It's actual mutilation. It's actual brutality. Like, I don't agree with male circumcision, but like the consequences and the realities are completely different because what you get as a woman when you are... um, like cuts and when and when you when when you're like you know when you have like when fgm is um commissioned on you is you get more oppression mm. when foreskin is removed men get the keys to the kingdom so to call it circumcision is actually to call it a celebration there's nothing to celebrate mm. about what happens to women and it's like it might like i can only speak for my culture my community and i also know other women and the way that they're kind of like you know extremely chastised and it's kind of linked to what are like honestly economic opportunities and choices women like the like i've never met a woman that has a choice that has actually chosen fgm mm. and that is the main thing is like there is literally choice is the most fundamental thing when it comes to fgm Mm-mm. and one of the quotes that i read about you was and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna quote you back to you nimco go on <laughs> i love this when I see my niece and that her life has been uninterrupted, it's the most beautiful thing. And sometimes I'm jealous of her being a nine-year-old that lives this innocent kind of life. And you know, you just said that you that you that you live free of FGM now, in the sense that it, it's not the well, fact that no, you no, pivot. I, I said I live beyond FGM. Okay, you live. Okay, okay. I, I can never okay. be free of it because it's part of my life. But yes. I live beyond it. I know, but the thing is, Nimco is about you is that you have no self-pity and that is really when someone's been through the level of trauma that you've been through because when you're when the FGM that you had started to give you very serious complications Nimco you could have died yeah you almost died you were ended up in hospital yeah and and so you're you know I think I think you're very humble Nimco, and I know that Twitter doesn't always think you are, but personally, I find you one of the most humble human beings ever because Nimco, the, the lack of self-pity that you have around this. And I don't, I don't think you really, really, I don't think you can see clearly, Nimco, just how amazing it is 
the work that you're doing. I sometimes think you're so far inside of it that you actually don't really understand how mind-blowingly phenomenal it is that you have decided to speak out so bravely and so openly about this because it's it, the I was at a talk once uh, about FGM a few years ago and and there was a woman in the audience who was literally trying to defend it as a cultural right you know and this was a lawyer and and um so the only reason I raised that is because that's in the UK and I understand that FGM does happen in the UK but but my my, I think really what I'm just, I think really what I'm trying to say is thank you. Like, thank no, you. Honestly, it's really weird. So the whole point is like, there will always, so there, there are two people that kind of like two people that kind of, um, two types of people that kind of defend it. People who've had it, who can't actually deal with the experience of it. Because sometimes I think just like, you know, you like the whole thing is that you can be beyond FGM. FGM can always be like, you know, you can stay in this victim mentality. You can kind of, that's, that's, that's like, you know, it's like, I will never say to a woman that you're not allowed to feel you're not allowed to feel bad about the experience that you've had. But what it is is it's the fact that we have a system of so-called activism which is not actually achieving anything. That means that you constantly stay in this space. The fact that you're talking about your trauma, and we do that to a lot of women, to a lot of white working class women, a lot of African women, a lot of like you know South Asian women. So you're always dealing with your trauma. Mm rather than being able to be allowed to be beyond your trauma. And mm. I was and I was there, I was always talking about, but I was, but I'd also kind of say like, like literally I, I am who I am. The whole point is the fact that there are things that trigger me and I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go into a space. I can be beyond that. I can like, you know, how do we end FGM? How, how do, how, I, I can also exist as an FGM survivor, mm. as someone that carries the wounds of FGM, but not defined by it. And that's the fundamental thing is the fact that, the FGM that happened to me does not define me and I don't identify with it as my own definition of who I am. Mm. There are people who are put into that box. Mm. And then what happens when they're put into that box? It's like the people that are putting, the, putting them in that box are progressives that want them to constantly come out. Mm. So when I'm standing here going, guys, like, fuck FGM. Let's talk about life beyond FGM and let's talk about ending FGM. And let's talk about women existing. Mm. That is what it is. And then when I was growing, and, and then at the same time, there are people that are saying, when I was talking about FGM, say, why are we talking about it? Because that doesn't identify me. So, like, the reality is the fact that the people that defend FGM are two people. People who are so progressive, they're racist, that they kind of, like, are sitting there going, like, you know, oh, why are we talking about, like, why should we end FGM? It's a cultural practice, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, it's, it's, a, it's a human right advisor and, and, and violation. Mm. And then the second set of people are people who are so, like, identifiable with it like as victims, as survivors, as people that are in it, that they just can't live, like that they just haven't been able to step outside of it. So when I start talking about, I always say it's like it's like reading your like your diary in 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 the middle of a sixth form common room. Mm. You want to strangle the person reading your like your um your diary rather than wanting to laugh about all the stupid things that that, that you write as a 16-year-old. Mm. So a lot of people are actually in that space where they're still in the common room mm. and some of us are out of it. So, yeah, it's like, it's hard to say to people, you can be an FGM survivor beyond it. I can talk about my experience. Mm. I was cut at the age of seven, almost died at 11, and then was dismissed for years and years and then really got into this space where I politically wanted to campaign about it. Mm. And now I live in a space where I'm almost 40 when I can say, yeah, I had FGM, but what the fuck? I've, got, I've also done other things as well. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh. So what was the, like... What was the transition for you in terms of building a sense of okayness with your past and your body? So, so really, what I hear you saying is that you've you've transitioned into the now, that you live in the present. You don't live in your past. You don't sit in your trauma. That you are free to a certain extent. And I think being an activist myself, actually the affirmation of, of 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 using my traumas and my losses mm. uh, to make change has been very healing and definitely part of my journey of becoming the woman that I am today. And I'm proud of the woman that I am today. And it's partly to do with the work that I do for women um, based on my loss and, and, and my personal traumas. Do you... You just said, you know, you decided to get political when you decided to do some activism around FGM. Do you have any fundamental moments where you remember thinking, oh, I'm starting to feel differently about this? I mean, really personally, Nimco, where rather than feeling traumatised, you went, oh, I feel like something's changing inside of me. So um, honestly, I I got I got into activism as a default. It was it wasn't something that I intended to do. So I I'll also acknowledge the fact that because I had my medical intervention so young, I had all my lived experiences as a woman, like my my um, my first orgasm, my period, and everything else post the men like you know the medical in, intervention of FGM. So I could have. I, I could like you know had I had I grown up in a family that didn't necessarily um empower me to the position that I was if I never got married I could be sitting here right now mm. with, with a with an infibulated um anatomy so basically my anatomy um um switched up I'm very happy to say like you know I started my period today so my first period came with a vagina that was open and it wasn't infibulated mm. so the whole point is the fact that I did not necessarily have as much of the experiences that a lot of the girls um that in my community did who mm. also growing up here who also most of them some of them were born here mm. most of us were, were here since we were like you know three or four so basically spent most of most most of our lives um in this country mm. but like my activism came from a sense of guilt because I knew when I started to see Somali girls, like I, I, I came into my adulthood, um, into my like, you know, early 20s from a space of the fact that not meeting anybody that has had FGM because I literally 
like rejected, like well, basically just like stopped t- talking to my Somali friends. Just like lived in a world where um, everybody was non-Somali and everybody was very Caucasian and and, and and those other kind of things. And then when I first of all, st- then when I connected with Somali um, with Somali young people and, and in the community mm. outside of my own family, mm. the first thing that actually came to me mm. was FGM, and I was just thinking like. Mm. Why is this still a thing? Because mm. I thought I left that when I was mm. 13, 14. And then it was my, and then I literally look, I remember looking at thinking, my silence is so complicit to the misunderstanding because people would always, I'd be in my very well meaning liberal white friends' houses talking about FGM from an anthropological kind of context. And I'd be like, I would never say anything because I was just thinking like, I don't want to be that mutilated vagina. I don't want to. So I was always talking to third person. I would, mm. I would say, but do you not think it's a form of violence against women and girls, mm. Trevor? Mm. But I would, I literally, <laughs> I literally was, there, was there really someone there called Trevor? No, there wasn't. <laughs> I never, I ne- I've never actually hung around with a Trevor, but it's... I've got a Trevor I can introduce you to, Nimgo. So, you, so you'd say, don't you think it might be a, a form of violence rather than speaking about yourself and your personal experience? Yeah, so I, I would always speak in a third person and they, and, they, and, they, and they would always be called Charlie or Stephen or whatever. Anyways, <laughs> it, it, it was very it, it was very kind of middle class and white and North London and all those other kind of things. And I'd be like going like, you know, okay, that's not, well, that's not really how it is. And, and I would literally, I'd, I'd also even in civil service write like, um, write comments on things saying, should we not look at this? But without actually saying anything, without anything saying that this is, this relates to me. And I, and I actually hadn't seen that passive aggressiveness until I met a, um, a young Somali girl who objected to, um, a, you know, when I was doing something about the violence against women and girls um, stuff years ago, before the stuff I'm doing now, and wrote something to one of the ministers that I was working with. And I thought, you know what? I hear you. Mm. You don't want to be the girl in the office where everybody looks at saying, oh my God, have you had FGM? Mm. Because that's that's the kind of problem. It's, it's mm. the fact that, I, you know, it's fine to think about FGM as being my auntie's issue, but it was also my issue. And it was also my very Western issue. It was very mm. much a woman that speaks English with an accent, speaks like, you know, works around the kind of... But also I wasn't being a victim. I was, mm. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm a fucking survivor. Let's mm. go beyond the FGM kind of thing. So mm. um, I'm not sure whether... I'm not sure what we're talking about, but, 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 no, it's, but, the, you... but the reality is that I came across the young girls in Bristol and I came across the young girl in London. And I was like, my silence is so complicit to this, mm. but I also have a platform and a privilege mm. and an understanding of how to change policy. Mm. Mm. That's why all the work that I've done on FGM has been political because mm. it's about the state, it's about the UK mm. protecting my niece, mm. protecting, like, it never, like, I came back as a seven year old, I told my teacher, I spoke perfect English. I was like, Miss, this happened to me. And she's mm. like, I don't know. And then when I was in hospital, I was 11 years old. I was in a fucking major NHS hospital. They saw my anatomy and they could have said, shit, this is aggressive. This is horrible. Let's actually see if, like, you know, what's going on. They didn't, they, they chose not to do that because they thought brown girls did not actually, did not actually, were, were not deemed to have the same. Well, it's- it's child abuse. Exactly. It's so, child abuse. But I was too brown to be protected. And I thought when I got to a position, I was thinking, I'm not going to talk to my mom about FGM because my mom is probably not going to do it. To, I'm, not, I'm like, that's not the point. I don't want to talk to like the Somali community, the, the Sierra Leone community. I want to talk to the fucking government and say, listen, mm. 
you guys have you guys have the right to say if British children need to be protected, let's protect them. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to do. So that's so my work has always been about protecting British girls against FGM because the whole point is mm. we care. Mm. You're part of this country. So mm. if I had I had I not been as successful as I am now and I'd kind of died or been killed by the people that hated me for doing the work that I was doing, mm. my niece would be protected by the law. Mm. So if my, if my sister-in-law is going to take my niece away now, she'd be like, she'd be asked, if she's taking her back to Somalia, she'd be like, are you going to have FGM done to her, blah, blah, blah. No, th- th- those, those are questions that are going to be asked. My niece is now part of this UK, the UK government's legislation, and she's protected. And that's all I've ever wanted was to be seen as a British child because that's mm-hmm. all I was mm-hmm. from the age of fucking four mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. well from the age of four I was living in the UK but as a, from the age of seven I was technically a British child and I should have been protected well one of the things about you Nimco that I have found most enlightening and 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 helpful amongst all the things is this idea of I've re- it's, I've really integrated it that actually unless you change policy nothing really changes. So for all the campaigning, we're grateful to the people out on the streets making the noise, but actually you have to change it at government level. And you said that your focus was trying to create a world where period poverty doesn't exist, where FGM or forced marriage isn't a reality anymore. And you are definitely, you know, a a huge part of the tribe of humans that are really making that a fact nowadays. You are also therefore heavily involved in in politics and and government and um i would say of all the women that i know in my life right now and this is this is an impressive thing for me okay. to say okay of all the women that i know in my life right now you live as your own woman more than any of them and i'm and i find it super inspiring it does mean that you are often um kind of on the rock face and you do get a bit of flack I would say I think people that you are brave enough to have an opinion and um and and you're fierce with your opinions and you're and you're right you're morally right with your opinions as well so therefore they need to be heard but I just wondered you know how is it for you Nimco that the how is it for you that that you seem I feel I I feel like do you know what I feel I feel like you're a bit misunderstood sometimes. Do you feel like that? Do you know what? So my new piece, the, the piece that I have in life is the fact that people, no, but the whole was like, I'm not misunderstood. People intentionally misinterpret everything I say. You think they're doing it on purpose? Yeah, they, no, they, they definitely do it on purpose. They definitely do it on purpose because it makes them feel better that, um, that they want to be able. So it's the same reason as like the fact that I always say like my, so the reason what I did with my mom, I did that with, with with my mom I was expecting things from her I was I was expecting perfection from her because that's what you do from mom and I looked at my mom as a woman and I thought okay you know what we're all flawed as human beings this is how we kind of work so the opinions that I have are always informed like I don't have an opinion about everything like when people like people like I I get the media thing oh can you come talk about Meghan Markle I'm like I don't know her mm. and I don't really like I like you know I don't have an informed opinion I can have a I can have like, you know, a knee jerk reaction to things. Mm. But mm. I just think that's what I'd say to my friends on whatever it was. So that's what I would have tweeted like 10 years ago. But now I understand that like, you know, people want to kind of be, so the, 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 the whole point is like everything that I talk about or I say something on is informed and there's a basis on it. So it's like, you know, 
the things I have opinions on are informed. So when I get like really ag- aggy about people not listening to me, I used to, I'm not anymore. It's because of the fact that I'm like, I've researched these things just so like, you know, feelings are not facts. Mm. I have a lot of feelings about a lot of things, but like things I want to talk on, I need to have facts on. Mm. Yeah. So I am like, the whole point is like the, the way, the reason why I'm the, the reason why I'm misunderstood or some people misunderstand me is because they work towards that. Mm-hmm. They've never actually asked me a question mm-hmm. and anything that they, I've read, they actually don't disagree with, mm-hmm. but they just have never expected that of a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. So it's about their insecurities. Mm-hmm. that, Like, you know, the, so yeah, so I'm basically challenging their um, insecurities rather than actually me really saying anything that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm now in this position where I'm feeling very, like one of my friends says, she's like, you seem a lot happier, a lot lighter. I'm like, because I'm like, I'm in this position, like, I said what I said and I mean what I mean. So, like, <laughs> literally, I just, I, 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 I actually don't care about trying to please people who are intentionally misunderstanding me. Well, intentionally misunderstanding you for the very same reason that you spoke of at the beginning of this conversation, because they don't like loud women. Yeah, no, no, exactly. It's I mean, exactly yeah. the same thing. And unless you just go, I am, I mean, I've been doing it a lot this year. I'm taking no prisoners this year. If someone does something that isn't okay for me, morally or ethically, rather than spend a week ruminating on it in my head, I go, I, I take it up with them straight away. I like, I'm like, you know, I've been like clearing through stuff because I think that that, um, that smallness that we can have as women, Nimco, that kind of like, oh, let me just go and talk to a few female friends about what's yeah. going on first, rather than trust your gut instinct, get your facts. I love what you just said, that feelings aren't facts. Thank you for reminding me. I I, I should have that like tattooed somewhere. Um, but you get your facts straight and then have an opinion and you don't need to go and talk to your girlfriends over a bottle of wine about it first. You can just have an opinion. Men would never not have an opinion. They wouldn't go and chat to like 10 I- mates. I literally, I wanted to tweet, I wanted to Instagram something um, yesterday because I thought, you know, I'm not going to tweet it because, like, I, I, I'm always finding different platforms have different meanings. So I, I thought, you know what, are you are you an adult unless you spent, like, you know, two grand on a media lawyer trying to get somebody to retract something that you never gave them, like, you know, permission to actually say. Ten years ago, or, like, the last ten years, I've given so much of my own time to kind of, like, people like, oh, it's so powerful, let's hear about it. And I'm like, literally... The, the, the reason why my mother and, and like you know my sister and the people that I love and I had like such a turmoil relationship over the last 10 um, years is because of the fact that I've given too much of myself in order to be in order to educate people about FGM and all these other kind mm. of things mm. and I'm like I don't need to I don't need to use my personal struggle in order for me to actually no. understand like, I'm actually no. an expert in what I talk about I don't I didn't, yeah. I, I, I didn't wake up yesterday and say oh I'm going to end violence against women. He goes, I've been mm. actually vact- actively fighting against male violence for like 10 years. Mm. So yeah, it's just like... There are- just be like, here's my book. When, when people come at you, just be like, here's my book, here's my book, here's my book. But they know, but, the whole, but that's what I mean, they know. They're being contrary. People, people, people like, especially, I mean, we've kind of started talking about... Um, it's my fault. I've led you down. The, I, somehow or other, we're in a we're in a we're in a social media rabbit hole, and we're not even currently on social media. We're in we're in a Zoom room. Um, but I mean, really, I, I it makes me cross to see people um, to, to to kind of come at you on social media because knowing you like I do, I feel that you are a woman of immense immense integrity. 
I, I find you uh, unbelievably well, thoroughly researched and thought out in everything that you do. And I think the other thing that I have really learned from you is the ability to move outside of politics. So my background is my family. Uh, we have a long-standing uh, relationship with with left-wing politics, and yeah. I would still consider myself to be part of 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 that thinking. However, when it comes to women's bodies and violence against women and girls, there is no time or business to be involved in that kind of minimalistic politics like who you vote for there's no space for it nimco and yeah. you you've like risen up and outside of that and i think that's one of the the reasons that people find you um so challenging and also try and put you down is because you could because because you've moved outside of the divisiveness you're not interested in the divisiveness you're not going i'm on this side or this side you're just going this is right and this is wrong and and we need to get to what's right we need to get to what's right for women we need to get to what's right for girls and we need to look for solutions and make change stop fighting just get on with it and make the changes that need to happen in order for this country and the world to be a safe place for our gender, you know, and I and I watch you on a daily basis work your ass off, your your very gorgeous bottom. Off oh my, on oh that. my front bottom, my vagina off. Like I work my family off. Yeah, honestly, I do. I just, I just, I literally think, do you, do you have the power in order to change things? Then I'll work with you and I'll have a conversation with you. And also, it's always very. I think it's easy for me to cross over and have common ground and have common conversations with 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 people and. My ex used to say the main thing that like one of my greatest skills in life is good chat. I can just chat to anybody. I'm like, what up? I, <laughs> you I got good chat. You're also so funny. And because because I don't take myself fucking seriously. It's like people just take themselves so seriously. Well, you take I, the right things seriously, though. Nimble. No, no, but no, I I do serious things. I want to I want to sh- make shit happen. Yeah, but I don't take myself seriously. I'm like, come on, guys, let's just yeah. try. And yeah. I said to one of my friends the other day, I said. I'm a campaigner, not a complainer. Like, I can sit here every day, like, oh all God, day, every day. <gasps> oh, my God, I love it. I'm totally going to call this episode that. The but campaigner, I'm, not the complainer. I just, literally, <gasps> I complain about so many things. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to campaign. I'm going to change things. I'm going to be like, impact, change. Yes. What the fuck yes. are we going to do? Yes. And on that note, Nimco, we are coming towards the end of my time with you. Actually, cool. that's a lie. <laughs> We're coming towards the end of... The, top, the community's time with you. I get to speak to you all the time. But I want to speak to you about what still needs to happen around... What what would you like to see in the next year and then the next five years in terms of violence against women and girls? What are the key things that you want our community on the Happy Vagina to be making noise about, reading about, learning about, being educated about and telling everyone about? Um, sadly, by the time this comes out, the violence against women and girls strategy would have um, closed. But ultimately, it's about actually conversation. I think the key thing is conversation. We have a broken, we have a broken social contract. I think so. So the whole point is that I believe that it's both men and women that need to be able to engage in order for us to end um, violence against women, well, male violence against women and girls. And we have to be able. So the government is going to be the foundation. We like. So someone said to me the other day, you don't need to wait for an, um, MPs to legislate. Yes, legislation is key. Legislation is the principal factor in terms of, of what the social contract foundations is. 
this is how we're meant to behave. And then we, and then after that, we're meant to do the work. So what I want your community to talk about is the fact that we all have a role to play. Like each, each and every one of us has the role to play in terms of ending male violence against women and girls. Like men are not born as like, you know, as violent men, we educate them. And there's this whole conversation about educating boys. Let's educate men as well. Let's have conversations. Let's talk about real, like, like forgiveness and real like honesty about the men that have hurt us. And we were just talking about that before. There are men that are in our lives who probably hurt other women. There are other men who have hurt us. And let's have these truth and reconciliation. If we want to forgive, we forgive, but it is not our position to say how another woman should feel. Mm. There's two things. If a woman wants an historical act of violence to be prosecuted, I support you because fundamentally I believe you. And if I love that man, I can also work with him to see what happens and how he kind of um, um, reacts to that. So I think the real work that needs to be done is for us as adults Mm. to understand Mm. that there is redemption in Mm. the conversations, like, you know, in the conversations that we need to have. Mm. There is working towards redemption and and really working um, towards being honest with each other. And if you want to forgive, we can forgive. If if you don't want to forgive, then that's fine. So really just actually looking at the understanding of, of, the, of, the, of, of the fact that each and every one of us owns our stories and owns the ability for us to feel how we want to feel about men who've hurt us mm. and how we want to work towards, like, you know, working, um, achieving um, a world where there is, like, you know, real um, violence and violence against women ending. So more honest communication, more honest conversations between women about actually what their true experiences are. And also what I just got from what you just said deeply reflects everything about what you are because you're saying, let's not blame. Let's not blame the male gender for the violence against women from men. You're saying, but if you need to do something at legal level, then do it, which is the same as making change at policy. So actually, this inner world that you're talking about now, about what we should be doing, boots on the ground women, very much reflects your activism, which is honest communication, aligning with a a much higher moral code. And if you need to take action to prosecute, then get some help with that and find out from someone in the legal profession whether or not that's something you can do. Yeah, no, definitely. So, so the point is like, if if you're kind of like the healing process for you means that you want to be able to talk about your experience of violence, and that person is in the public sphere or wherever, don't actually allow. So, so the whole point is that sometimes holding a mirror up to the wrongness, the wrong that men did, mm. they maybe help them or whatever it is. So, don't start saying the fact that oh, he's a family member. It was twenty years ago. It's whatever. If you need to report it. If you want to report it, you have the power to do that. Mm. And I fundamentally want to be in a space that the fact that I believe every single woman, it's like I'm in that kind of space. It's the fact that so that that's what I mean about truth and reconciliation is the mm. fact that we have to have spaces. We have to have we, we, we have to say that 51, 50 percent of this population in this country, women live a complete different quality of life to the other because the fact that we fear the ones that we love. So when we're, when we're walking the streets, mm. our experience is different to when men are walking, walking mm. the streets. Mm. And that's because some other man that we know has done something to us. 
so that man can also easily be you mm. so the reality is let's have real conversations and actually re- let's really build a community and a country mm. and, and and a contract mm. against us about about honesty saying like so so a list of people who did things okay that, that's what we did how do we deal with that this basically maybe even saying those things out loud makes things better mm. but the whole point is like so i i just think we what's just the solution have- What's the, the get look look for the solutions like let's move towards the solutions for it exactly let's have a conversation about the fact that like rather than feeling bad about all the men that did us wrong let's actually have a conversation about it because I know there's a thing about people saying like you know you, you're following my abuser let's unfollow him it's not about unfollowing him it's about actually naming him and actually letting him do the work so we need to actually be able to put men in a space where they need to do the work because mm-hmm. Because, because the reality is there are some men that are born that way and there are some men that are educated that way but we have to be able to be have honest conversations in order to mm. filter that out mm. and then that means the next generation of men know better and do better because this idea of the fact that we need to educate boys mm. boys haven't committed any crimes yet some of them most of them mm. haven't you the mm. men have committed crimes you are the one that we're scared of you're the ones that we're being so it's those kind of conversations so it's just the same thing as like the fact that if I was not cut, I would not be married. I would, this means what happened to me. We all think like, you know, if we don't go out at night, if we don't do these things, like we're literally physically, mentally or socially mutilating ourselves on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Nimco, every time I speak to you, I learn something exceptionally brilliant and slightly new. And, I, and I've been banging on on social media about educating boys, even though I am child-free. And now I'm going to start banging on about educating the men, and I will, yes. and I will, and I will I tag. Really... I'll be like stolen from the Queen. That is Nimco Ali. Thank you. Do you know what? Can you say that because I wanted to tweet it, and I thought, you know what? Can I deal with the hassle? So my new thing is, like, I'm actually so grown up. The fact that I'm like, do you know when those things? I'm like, I was like, no. So I've got so many. Ah, restraint of pen and tongue. Oh my God, Nimco, that's so grown up. You must be almost forty. I am almost 40. I'm like 18 months away from it. It's like shocking. Uh, um, but no, but, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not just going to say it's the fact that it is men. Men is what we need to be able to... Um, yes, because also in, in a family unit, if there is a traditional male and female role, let's just say, it's often the, 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 the dad that the boy's going to look up to. So what are we talking What Also, like, why are we again getting the mums to tell the mums to train their sons? Hang on a second. Yeah. Get the dads to train the boys. Nimco, I love you, and I'm so grateful for your time. Everybody that's listening, go and follow Nimco Ali because she is one of our greatest revolutionaries. Greatest. Really, truly greatest. Also has great chat. Very funny. And has got a wonderful, wonderful book that you should all go and buy and read called What, what We're Told Not to Talk About, But We're Going to Anyway. What We're Told Not to Talk About, But We're Going to Anyway. Nimco Ali, thank you for being our guest on The Happy Vagina. This has been an exceptional episode. Have an amazing day. And a very special thank you to our partners of this week's episode, Day. Day's cramp-soothing CBD tampons are proven to reduce menstrual pain by 80% in clinical trials. Find out more about the inspirational work of Day and get £5 off your first order with code THEHAPPYVAGINA at www.yourday.com. That's www.yourday.com.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.